Genesis chapter 34. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture. 34, start at verse number 26. And then also a few verses into 37. Just laying a little bit of groundwork. I don't like to start preaching and just assume that everybody knows that's where I'm talking about, the story where I'm going. I mean, because sometimes it's professional we get a, 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 we get an element of professional Pentecostalism we think everybody has heard these stories since they were in Sunday school and everybody don't know exactly what you're talking about amen amen so we're just gonna we're gonna get you a good a good understanding of what's going on here amen Genesis chapter 34 verse 26 and they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out and the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep and their oxen and their asses and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive and they spoiled even all that was in their house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, uh, uh, this is the father, now Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, his sons, ye have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I, being, and I, being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and slay me, and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. Amen. Jacob was in a tight spot. Amen. He was in a difficult situation. He was worried. He was scared. He was fearful. He was afraid. Amen. And this is what they answered and said. They said, Shall he deal with our sister as with an harlot? And God said unto Jacob, This is the Lord intervened and began to speak here in this situation. How many of you are glad that God can, he, he, he recognizes the situation that you're in and can begin to speak to you in your situation. Amen. And God said, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make thee an altar unto God that appeared unto, unto God then he, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress come on he had some history with this God already the God that answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went come on there's been some people that have already had some times in your life when God has already helped you He's already rescued you. He's already brought you through some things. Amen. Come on, why are we being fearful and afraid now? God has already done these things for us. Amen. Listen to what he said here. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. That was all their idols, everything. Sometimes I think these have become a strange god unto people. If it didn't cost $900, I'd smash it on the floor and make a good point right now. Huh? Then nobody will be able to call me next week. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you bring me an old one. That would be a good illustration. You've seen them evangelists get them a big TV that nobody uses that's about this wide. They want to make a good illustration. So they smack that one. They don't smack the one they got at their house. They smack that one. This <laughs> is big. Amen. Yeah, the one with tubes in it that weighs 900 pounds. Amen. I'm getting way off topic. I'll never get finished if I keep going like this. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods. Somebody say all the strange gods. Which were in their hand. And all their earrings which were in their ears. Uh-oh. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. 
And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, was in the land of Canaan. Somebody said, back in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel. He and all the people were with him. He came back to that place where he had made that covenant with God. And he built there an altar, altar and called to the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Amen. I'm going to preach to you this morning a, a strange topic. It's, I mean, it's a strange title, but I want you to remember it. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, meet me by the old oak tree. Amen. Meet me by the old oak tree. Amen. How many of you think you can remember that till, till tonight? Amen. <laughs> you clap your hands into the Lord before you're seated. Hallelujah. The story of Jacob is a, a familiar story to most of us here that have even been through search for truth. And if you haven't been through search for truth or a Bible study, you need to go through a Bible study. Amen. It'll help you understand the foundational things of the Word of God. Amen. It's, it's, in, the first it's in the first book of the Bible. It's, it's one of the first stories. It's usually covered in the first or second lesson. It's a very familiar story to a lot of people. It has many twists and turns along the way from trading of the birthright to the tricking of his father out of the blessings all the way to his departure from Canaan's land, working with, with Laban for 20 years to gain his two wives and many servants, cattle, sheep, everything that he acquired. But it's here in the, in the 34th book of Genesis. This is where we pick up today. This is the story picked up. Uh, Jacob's family were on the heels of a very traumatic event in their lives. Uh, verse, it starts in chapter 33, and you can go back and read it. I won't cover all the details. And it spans all the way to chapter 34. And it, the scripture says that Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, had been kidnapped, defiled by the, one of the sons of Shechem. And out of revenge and retribution, you know, revenge and retribution are fleshly carnal acts. Amen. Revenge and retribution are something that doesn't come from the godly side of us. Come on, a clever plot for murder and revenge had been planned and executed by the sons of Jacob. They had killed all of the men of Shechem's house, took all of their livestock, took their wives, their children, spoiled their houses, took everything that they had. And when Jacob had heard of what had been done, he became very worried. He became very scared. He, became, uh, he began to say, what am I going to do in this circumstance that I'm in. Here I am. I'm almost stranded out in this. I'm surrounded by enemies. I'm afraid. I don't know what my next move is going to be. I don't understand how I'm going to get out of this circumstance. Is, any, is it painting a picture for anybody? Has anybody ever felt worried or fearful or afraid or scared or felt like you were surrounded by your enemies and you didn't know your next move? You didn't know where you were going to go or what you were going to do in the next days and few weeks, days, months, weeks, years to come. Has anybody ever felt like that in the house? This is where we find Jacob. Come on, and I'm paraphrasing some of what he said. But Jacob was, he was scolding his sons and he said, what were you thinking? Are you trying to get us all killed? Don't you know that we're outnumbered and in the land filled with strangers, filled with hostiles, we're in a, with hostiles in a hostile environment. You see, sometimes as, as Christians, we, have, we find ourselves 
outnumbered in an hostile environment. Has anybody ever felt that way before? You looked around you and you said, that, like David, you said, my foot almost non-slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Amen. When I get to looking around me and I see everything that's wicked that's going on in the world and it seems like nothing is happening, no retribution, nothing is happening to these people, I get a little bit uh, concerned, I get a little bit afraid, I get a little bit um, disheartened. But it was here in the midst of this circumstance that God began to speak to Jacob. He didn't know where to turn and God showed up. He didn't know where to go and God began to speak to him. And he began to remind him of where he was supposed to be going all along. You know, sometimes God has to show up and just give us a gentle reminder and help us to get back on course of where we were supposed to be going all along. Amen? There had to come a realignment of Jacob's priorities. He had to get his direction back in his life. Jacob wasn't supposed to be settling down in the city of Shalem. He had left his uncle Laban's house and God told him to journey back to the promised land. Look, it's in Genesis 31. I'll read it for you. In 31 and 13, I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowed a vow, thou vowed a vow unto me. Now arise and get thee out of this land and return into the land of thy kindred. You see, somewhere along the way, Jacob got sidetracked. Somewhere along the way, he stopped for so long that he began to have problems. Somewhere along the way, Jacob decided, hey, this is good enough right here. This is as far as I want to go on the journey that I'm supposed to be taking. I'm out of Laban's house. Nobody's breathing down my neck. I got a little bit of room. I got a little bit of leeway. I got a little bit of relief from the bind, the pressure that I was in. And now I'm just going to camp out here, not at Laban's house, but not in Canaan's land either. Sidetracked. Has anybody ever got sidetracked before? People with ADHD, not mentioning any names. We get sidetracked really easy. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why I use that's why I use notes. People say, why you need notes? Because I want to be able to remember what I'm saying and not take three hours to say it. Amen. Jacob got sidetracked. He wasn't supposed to be settling down. God didn't tell him to stop along the way and pitch his tents in that strange land with those Ishmaelites. He didn't tell him to buy land. He didn't tell him to start building stalls and to start amassing wealth in that land. He had God had bigger plans for Jacob. He wanted Jacob to become Israel to fulfill the promise of, of become, being Israel so that he could let, lead him into the fullness of his inheritance. God didn't want to bring Jacob away from Laban's house, but he, want, he didn't just simply want to get him out of Laban's house, but he wanted to move him to a place. Sometimes as modern day Christians, we get satisfied. Well, I'm not living in sin anymore, but I'm not where God wants me to be yet either. 
and I just get, we just get satisfied. We get complacent. We say, well, this seems like a good enough place right here. And even though God didn't tell us to stay there and to start settling in, putting down roots and getting familiar in that place, we began to get familiar in that place. God didn't just want to bring him away from Laban's house. He wanted to bring him into the fullness, into the place where he could be the rightful heir, into the land that he had promised Abraham and Isaac. God didn't just want to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He didn't just want to bring them and just leave them in the wilderness. Come on, he had a purpose for their life. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. God doesn't just want you to just come out of sin, but he wants you to fulfill the purpose. He wants you to fulfill his plan for your life. Come on, you can't just get a little bit of relief for what's going on in your life and say, okay, that's enough. But God wants you to go all the way. God wants you to let him complete the plan in your life that he started in you. Hallelujah. Come on. The Lord didn't die on Calvary just to find a grave and find a tomb, but he died on Calvary so that the resurrection could take place, so that Pentecost could take place, so that we could have a chance at everlasting life through the power of the Holy Ghost. When God puts a plan in place, he doesn't want the plan to stop halfway, but he wants it to be fulfilled in our life. God's plan is always perfect. It's the human element that messes things up. We're humans. We mess up the plan. It's our own stubborn, hard-headed self-will. It messes up the plan. We don't need to stop short of what God wants for our lives. We don't need to get comfortable and satisfied. But we need to keep pressing until we come into the fullness of what God has for us. The enemy of good is, of great is good. It's human nature to relax the moment that the pressure is relieved in our lives. To relax the moment that we get a little bit of relief from the stressful situation that we're in. Just the, there was soon. I just need to get the devil off my back today. I just need temporary relief. I just, I just need, I just need a little prayer. I just need a little, a little power. I just need a little bit of what God's got for me. I don't want it all. I don't want the commitment level that goes with it all. I just need a little blessing. I just need a little power. I just need a little help so I can get a little relief in my life. But God said, "That's not what I want for you." Don't be satisfied, Jacob, to stop short of what God has for your life. Mighty God. God wants us to make it all the way. Brother Rick, God wants us to make it all the way. He don't want us to stop short. Punch your neighbor and say, God wants you to make it all the way. Come on, you're not home yet. Come on, your, your ticket has not been punched yet. Amen. Come on, you've not heard the, the, the pearly glades click behind you yet. Come on, none of us are saved 
Yet we are in the process of being saved. We have, as long as we keep walking the journey, as long as we keep proceeding as planned, as God planned, as long as we keep going forward, until then, we can't, none of us say, well, I've got my journey made. I can just sit back, kick back, relax, just have a good time. I got it made in the shade. I'll just coast from here to the rapture happens. None of us have it made yet. But God wants us to make it all the way. We cannot get satisfied to stop short of what God wants. It began to get real here in this chapter. God told Jacob, he said, I want you to go back to that place that you made those vows. I want you to go back to that place that you made those promises to me. Come on, that place that you poured out the the oil on the rock and you said this is going to be an altar unto God. And God, if you'll bring me back to the land, if you'll let my journey be successful, then will you be my God. You're the God of my my grandfather and you're 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 the God of my father. But if you'll bring me back to this place, if you'll bring me back to this land, if you'll let my journey be successful. You see, sometimes we make bargains with God and we talk to God and we vow God and we make promises to God but let me tell you something we may get sidetracked but God did not forget he wants to bring you back to that place where you made that covenant you bring you back to that place where you vowed that vow and say hey I remember what you told me that night with your face buried in that carpet and you needed an answer I remember what you said whenever you were crying out I don't want you to backtrack on the word you told me go back to that place where you made that vow renew your commitment and let me be your God take you to the land that I want to take you to and fulfill my promise and my plan for your life come on put your hands together and help me hallelujah it's easy to get sidetracked It's so easy to get sidetracked. Jacob got distracted. He got to looking around. It was a pretty, he saw lots of opportunity in in that land. I could just settle right here. I could do all right for myself right here. There's lots of things. I could, lots of land. Land's cheap. Practically giving it away. They were back in them days. I can just settle right here. I can just get comfortable in this place. And I won't have to fight all those those battles. But guess what? He still had to fight battles. Just a little little inside information here. No matter where you decide to stop along your way, you're going to have to fight battles. You're, ne- you're not going to. You're not going to. There's never going to be a time in your life when you're not going to have to constantly be warring against the flesh. There's not going to be a time in your life when the things of this world are not going to be in opposition to your spiritual life. There's not going to be a the time in anybody's life whenever trouble is not going to be coming your way. Got comfortable. In the halfway position. Halfway between where God brought him from and where he was taking him to. 
Jacob had not proceeded in this journey like God wanted him to. And trouble began to catch up with him again. It's easy for us to find ourselves in trouble when we allow ourselves to stalemate along the pathway of our Christian life. A stalemate is when you're playing chess. It's when you're not yet in check, but your next move you will be. A lot of people live their life in a place of stalemate, just one step, one move away from being in real trouble. They live their spiritual lives like that. They just, they, they're in a spiritual stalemate where they're not in trouble yet, but the next move that they make is going to put them in a place of peril. Checkmate is whenever your king's in danger or your king's about to be taken in the game of chess. I'm not get too far on that analogy. But people allow themselves to get in predicaments where they, the next move that they make could be a bad place for them. They're not there yet. Preacher, I'm all right. I'm doing okay. It seems everything's fine. Yeah. But the looming and pending thing that's hanging over their head is just, is just dependent upon the next move that they make. Jacob was in a critical place. Who knows? If he hadn't followed God's plan, obeyed God's voice, he could have been killed by those surrounding tribesmen, warring tribesmen. For anybody that thinks there's ever going to be complete peace in the Middle East, they haven't read the Bible very much because they're going to be fighting from now till the Lord comes back, okay? If, yeah, if anybody thinks there's going to be peace in Washington, you're crazy too because they're going to be fighting till the Lord comes back, amen? <laughs> That's not in my notes, but it's still true. Amen. Go ahead, and, go ahead and clap your hands. They hadn't censored us yet. <laughs> Hallelujah. Would enjoy this freedom while it lasts. Amen. Just kidding. I'll chill out. <laughs> That's right. How many of you would still come to church if we had to meet out in the pasture somewhere? Hello. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's the meaning of consecration in, in July with the mosquitoes. Amen. Power of the blood. <laughs> we sing it. There's power in the blood. That's what we sing. <laughs> you see, this is how I get sidetracked from Jesus. I don't want to find myself in a place of stalemate. A place where my next move could put me or my family, my life in peril. Spiritual peril. I'm not talking about always physical peril, not physical danger. It may be physical danger also, but it's but it, but, but, but spiritual stalemate. A place where the next move that I make, I'm so close to that place. My next move could finish me off.
God was pushing Jacob to get black back to the place where he'd made those vows and those commitments so that God's word could be fulfilled in his life. Jacob was worried and afraid and didn't know what to do. But God began to speak to him at this crucial moment of his life and said, get back to the house of God. That's what Bethel means, house of God. Get back to the place where we last talked. Get back to the altar that you you built and we joined in together in worship and covenant together. And that's just what Jacob decided to do. But Jacob understood and knew that before he went back to that place, before he started making his approach to the one true living God, the holy God, that there were some things that he had to take care of first in his life. He didn't have to be perfect, but he had to make the right approach. He told his family and those people that were with him, many of those, those slaves were Syrians, those people that he had gathered up, that great enclave of people that was following his example, he was leading down that pathway. He told those people that they were underneath him, underneath his authority and in his household. He told everybody, he said, I want you to put away the strange gods that are in your hands. You see, they were they worshipped all kind of gods. They had they had the carved, they would take the little piece of wood and they would carve it out of their God and they would cover it with gold and they would carry it with them and they would put it on the shelf and they would worship it and burn candles to it. They'd give it food, meat offerings. They would do all this stuff was heathen with the, was the heathen culture that the people of God, that the that the, the, the lineage, Jacob's family. All this was going on in his underneath his roof. All this idol worship was going on in his household. All of this this worship of these strange God and these strange these these heathen concepts and principles was going on in his household. And he said, "Before we go back to Bethel, before we go back to that place, God didn't tell him to do this, but something in his spirit." that it had a relationship, that it had an encounter with the God of the universe, with the holy God, said you got to put those gods away. Come on, you got to take off that stuff. You got to clean your life up. Come on, he said you got to get the outside right because the outside has always been emblematic of what's going on on the inside. All the way back in human history, even worshipers of, of, of Buddha and some of the other pagan gods, Hindus, whenever they've been out and they've been doing, they've been interacting with the world before they go to worship or before they go to eat, they will wash their hands, wash their face, change their clothes before they go to the house to worship. Don't tell me that it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside in your life. It matters. It's a, it, it's a representation of what's going on on the inside. It's emblematic. It's emblematic of what's going on. Hey, God, I'm willing to make myself clean, holy, and pure before you. Jacob told him, he said, he said be thou clean. That word clean in the Hebrew is terah. Oh, tahara. I can't, I'm not much on Hebrew. Not many people from Concordia Parish are. But, this, but the Hebrew... The, Hebrew is such an old language that it's a lot of words that we say in English 
are hard to translate into Hebrew because they have a lot of different meanings, a lot of different connotations, and they mean a lot of different things when you say them. Clean is one of those words. It holds a lot more meaning than what we simply see in the English language. It means to be pure. It, mean, it could also mean to be clear. It could also mean to be unadulterated. In, in the Levitical sense, it means uncontaminated. In the, in the moral sense, it, mean, it could mean morally pure. In the, in the, in the, it could also mean innocent. Or it could also mean holy. Can you think of a way any of those could pertain to somebody's life that decided to come back into proper perspective with God? Think about it. He said, be thou clean. Put away the strange gods. All those things that have been taking up your time. All those things that have been taking up your energy. All those things that you've been fixating upon. All of those things that have been drawing you away from and keeping you away from your relationship with me. When God started speaking to Jacob, Jacob knew he wasn't living right. He knew he had to make some fresh consecrations and to clean up his act. Nobody even had to tell him these things. But because he had a previous encounter with God, with the holy God, the God of the universe, he knew he had to do these things. Nobody had to tell. But it just began to, when God began to deal with him, so many times we use that as a crutch in our spiritual lives. Well, if they can't find it exactly, if I can't get somebody to prove it to me three different ways and just I can see it in black and white for myself, I'm going to continue to walk on in this thing. But there was no Ten Commandments around at this point in time. It was because he had had an encounter with God. One night when he was alone and he was scared and he was running for his life from his brother Esau, he laid his head down on a rock in the wilderness and the scripture says that the Lord came to him in a dream and he saw a staircase ascending and descending to the throne and angels ascending and descending and God began to speak to him and he said, if you want a relationship with me, I'll give you a relationship and from that day forward, nobody had to tell Jacob when you get ready to go back to the house of God and get your life right to put away those strange gods take off that junk and get your life clean mighty God mighty God Lord have mercy come on God's talking to somebody in this place right now Mighty God, lift your hands right now. The Lord's speaking. He, there's, there's, a, there's a quickening that's happening right now. Come on, let your, if you're, let your spirit be opened and let receive it right now. Come on, Holy Ghost, talk to the hearts. Talk to minds, talk to spirits right now. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. Abraham had to put away his idols. Come on, Isaac had to have a relation, had to have a personal experience. Come on, 
Jacob had been sojourning for a long time in the land of Ishmaelites and he'd picked up so many things along the way so many things that had let him get him sidetracked so far from oh, he was so far from the, he let so many things get under in his, in his household and under his roof that needed to be fixed that needed his attention he had so much baggage he said we got to find a place where we can shed all this we've got to get ourselves right before we come in contact with God Apostle Paul says it like this. He said, lay aside the weights and the sins would thus so easily beset us. And let us run the race with patience that is set before us. Come on, somebody. Jacob told his family, he said, let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make thee there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. And who was with me in the way which I went. I know where I need to go. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. You already know where you need to go. Come on, you've been there before. God, God's helped you before. God's re- re- rescued you before. God's pulled you out of a difficult situation before. He said, let us go and build an altar. Let us find a place where we can worship God. And we can get back in touch with God. Jacob was telling his family members those people that were with him, those people that he was responsible for. Listen to me, fathers. You have a responsibility to help your family make it to the house of God and help them to make it to heaven. We could fix about 95% of America's problems in one generation if we had some a generation of fathers that would raise up and say, I'm going to raise my children. I'm going to raise my household with morality and decency and dignity. I'm going to bring them to the house of the God. I'm going to rightly divide the word and teach them right from wrong. Teach them not to kill, steal, and destroy. Teach them all of these things. Come on, one of the reasons that we've got so much turmoil and so much problem is America today is because we have a dearth of fathers that will step up and take responsibility. God didn't speak to everybody else, but he told Jacob. He said, Jacob, if you're going to save your family, you've got to get back to that place where you made that relationship with me. You think it was just going to be Jacob that was going to be killed if they were caught in some kind of feud or some kind of, or some kind of dispute between those warring tribes? No. But God spoke to Jacob. He said, it's your responsibility. Tell them what they need to be told. To get them to the place where they'll worship. To get them to the house of the Lord. To get them, tell them to get their lives cleaned up, straightened up, living right. And of God, we need to take responsibility. We need to take it seriously. I'm not even, this ain't even my notes, but America's got way too many men children. Too many, too many men that don't want to grow up. Want us to lay around and play video games in their in their in their pajamas instead of growing up and being the man of their household and saying, walk this way. Always going around with a chip on their shoulder, looking for a fence everywhere that they go. Come on, the greatest generation of men that ever lived went to World War II when they were 17 and 18 years old. And we've raised a generation of sissies that don't even know how to take the garbage out or change the oil in their cars anymore. 
America needs a revitalization of men in their lives. Families need a revitalization of men in their lives. I'm about to get mad now. Woo! Get your feelings off your shoulders and do what's right for your family. My Lord. I'm right on the threshold between being anointed and just getting mad. My. Don't make it your wife's responsibility to get the family up and bring them to church. The reason why you have so much problem at home is because you're not fulfilling the God purported roles that God asked us to fulfill. That's not politically correct, but I don't care. My Lord. The women should not have to be the prayer warriors of the church or the spiritual ones and drag the husbands along. My God. Well, I don't know why she always wants to tell me what to do. Well, it's because you won't step up and be the boss. That's why. I'm sorry. I'm way off my notes. <laughs> I never understand grown men walking around in, in, in Walmart with their pajama pants on. With their well, men, Women are men, but especially men. People wonder what happened to our society. If you take, go back and look at some pictures of the 30s and 40s, if a, if a family was going to go to town, a man was going to have on a, a suit with a nice hat on and a nice tie. And I'm not saying you have to wear a nice suit and tie to town, but you can at least get some dignity and get a little bit of a pride about yourself, not the kind that's going to uh, keep you from going to hell, they're going to put you in hell, but a little bit of pride in yourself. At least put on a shirt, a clean shirt, and put on some blue jeans, especially if you're a Christian. Come on, somebody. You're, don't go to Walmart with your, with your nasty-looking blue jean skirt and flip-flops on your hair looking like you just fell out of the bed. Wash their face, put some clean clothes on them kids, put some shoes on them. I'll never get through with this. When Jacob got ready to go back to the house of God, to the place where he had made that commitment, there were some things that had to take place in his life. Be thou clean. And what happened? 
And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods that were in their hand. And all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob, that re that's a representation of a, of a fleshly carnal mindset and an idea. It's not just, it's not just representative, representative, but it also means physical. They understood that those things meant more to them than they were saying. Listen to me. That stuff that you're wearing, it means more to you than what you're just saying. Oh, this old silly thing, that's just a little something that we do because, you know, I, you know this is my fidelity to my husband. You can be faithful to your husband or wife. I don't, we don't preach against marriage, simple marriage bans. But you can, you can get to the point where it becomes an ornament to you and there's, a, there's, an, there's, there's, a, there's an attachment of pride. There's an attachment of ungodliness. There's an attachment of unholiness to those things. And when they got ready to go back to God, they, there was no Ten Commandments. There was nothing written there. And he said, they took off that stuff and they put it in his hand. They took the gods that were with him. It's much funny that they, that was the only two things that they mentioned. The gods that they had in their hand and their earrings, their jewelry, the, the, the stuff that they, that's their pretties. Aaron got his gold to make the calf from the same stuff that some of those people were taking off a little bit later on and down the line. got quiet in here we still believe that believe it or not we, we don't preach it as much as we used to because we don't want to offend people we still believe that amen I think it's a travesty whenever people come into a church and they think for the first six months that they're there that they don't think you have to do anything and then all of a sudden somebody pulls them aside and says hey you need to do this stuff then they backslide because they didn't know when they first got there that there was a holiness preaching church. You need to tell them up front, hey, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what we, we believe it takes to get to heaven. This is what we do. That's the way you do it. Amen? And I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about other churches. God's church. Take off those things. Hand over your false idols. Hand over your false gods. And Jacob took them and he hid them under the oak, which was in Shechem. Oak trees didn't grow a lot in that part of the world. That's why they knew it. That's why they specifically mentioned it. The oak tree that was in Shechem. When I see in my mind the oak tree that was in Shechem, it was a big, old, stately Live oak with the branches, like the like at St. Francisville, you know, the, with the old trees with the branches dipping down to the ground. That's what I see in my mind. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. This is my, this is my vision, my mind. I can think whatever I want. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that liberty to think whatever we want, Lord. <laughs> Amen. There's even people that want to control what you think these days. Amen. So what? He, began, he, he hid them, didn't this? He took those things. The scripture says he hid them under the oak, which is in Shechem. But I, I, and I looked. I searched, the, I searched this passage of scripture. I looked. I read the commentaries. I dug into it. I never found one place, one time, where he went back and he uncovered that stuff and he picked it back up. 
Brother Floyd, I never found one place where they went back and they picked up those, after they had had that encounter with God. They got, they got a new revelation of who God was. They ever went back and picked up those things, put that idol back into their bosom, put those earrings back on their ears, and marched on, soldiered on in the way that they'd been going. Never found one place that happened. But I believe that that oak at Shechem was forever a memorial. Can't prove this through the scripture. This is me. But through prayer and consideration, I believe that that place was forever a memorial to Jacob and his family. And those children, those little bambinos he had coming along there. Those great, those grandchildren he had coming along there. That they remembered the day when, when Papa come and he brought them to that place and they dug a big hole and they threw all that junk that they had accumulated in those foreign lands. They covered it up there and they marched off to it to a place, a seemingly insignificant place, but it was a place where there was a few rocks piled up there with some old oil stains on them. They brought them to this place and they said, this is the place. Come on, this is the house. This is the place where God first talked to them. And there was a connection and there was a correlation in their minds. Listen to me, parents here with young children. You are making an impression upon those babies by your life, what you are, what you are showing them, how you are directing them, what they are watching in your life, what you're saying, what you're doing, what's going on there. It's making an impression upon them. They're not missing anything. You may think they're missing it and they're just little kids, but they're not missing it. They had a place, a memorial, under the oak there at Shechem. And every time they would go by there, they'd, I believe it was a memorial that was set up, and they'd say, you remember when? We came back to God. We got ourselves right. We got ourselves ready. He took those, those, those gods that had been carved out of wood and stone. He took the gems. He took the earrings. Everything that was that were used in the, in the symbolic worship of those pagan gods. He took those things and he, and he buried them. He hid them. Scripture says he hid them. If you read the commentaries, they say most likely he buried them. At that place, symbolically, he was symbolically saying, I'm getting rid of all that old junk from the past life and I'm leaving all that junk behind me today. My Lord, I wish somebody would just lift your hands and say, God, come on. I'm getting rid of all this junk. I'm putting it behind me today. God, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to find me a place. I'm going to find me an oak tree, a symbolic place in my spirit today. God, I'm going to find a symbolic place. to Let it let today be a symbolic place in my spirit. Let, me, let today be a place where I put aside all the junk from that previous life, everything that this in my, that's connected to my past that's haunting me, God, I'm going to put it behind me. I'm going to get over it. 
Come on, somebody needs to take this opportunity today. Come on, to let God begin to minister you. You need to begin to let God help you put your past behind you. You need to get let God begin to put your everything and all that junk from your previous life that the enemy keeps bringing up and the people keep bringing up. You need to let God put it behind you, help you put it behind you. You need to let today be a memorial. Your, your time at the house of the Lord this morning be a memorial so that we can find a place to move on and to move forward into what God wants us to be and to do mighty God we need to this is an important lesson we need to stop going back and picking up those things dragging those things out of your past you need to leave your past behind you you need to put it in your past and you need to forget about it Stop dragging it out. There's nobody here in the house that's perfect today. Amen. Come on, we're all in this boat, in this same boat together. Yours truly included. There's nobody in this house that's perfect. Come on, I I feel some self-righteousness trying to rise up in some people right now. Come on, am I making anybody nervous? Making some of y'all nervous. That little 45% hand clap I got just made confirmation. Yeah. Either that or you're ready for me to hush and quit so you can go home. Amen. Are you ready? You want me to keep on going or are you ready for me to quit? All right. That sounds like you want me to keep going. When the devil starts reminding you of your past, come on, you just need to take a moment and just remind him of what he's got in store for his life. Come on, the scripture says there's going to be one angel that's going to come and he's going to bind him and the Antichrist. One angel. One angel. Out of legions, trillions of angels, there's going to be one angel that's going to come and he's going to be bound in that pit for a thousand years. Come on, somebody. Come on, you need to remind, when the enemy starts bringing up your past, you need to remind him of what's going on in his future, what he's got going on in his future, what's coming in his life. He is a defeated foe. Despite his best laid plans, he is a defeated foe. Listen to me. God is never going to drag your sins out from under the blood again. You need to stop dragging them out from under the blood. Romans 8 and 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. Somebody say it. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. There's no reason why a blood-bought child of the king full of the Holy Ghost should walk around with condemnation in your life. Stop sinning, clean up your act, ask God to forgive you, and move on into the fullness of God's plan for your life. 
Come on, I believe somebody in this house wants to make a fresh start this morning. Come on, somebody along, somewhere along the way you may have got sidetracked. You may need to do a course adjustment this morning. You may need to get rid of some baggage. You may need to bury some things that you've been worshiping and get some things out of your life. You need to, you need to get some things out of your spirit today, but today is the day when that can happen. Stand with me. I'm almost through. I'm trying to close. The title of this message was so that you would remember it. Meet me by the old oak tree. Oh, Lord, I need a place. I need a memorial in my life. I need a time when I can look back and say, God, that's the day when I decided, Lord, not to stop halfway. Oh, it would be such a travesty to live for God for so many years. Sister Welch, and then get this close, not you in particular, but people in general would get this close to the rapture, and then they'd backslide. Then they would let the the enemy win in their life. They'd let some petty grievance call them to cause them to be lost. I believe that the Holy Ghost wants to give this church a great revival this year. I believe he wants to refresh and renew. I believe he wants to ignite flames of soul winning evangelism in the hearts of many of you. And God wants you to begin to be soul winners on a a level that you never thought was possible. But first you need to make a step today. You need to say, okay, God, I'm putting this stuff down. God, I'm hiding and I'm burying it. God, I'm going to make this a memorial from this day forward in my life, God. I'm going to remember that old oak tree and I'm going to remember the times when I put aside those things in my life. Verse number 5 says And they journeyed And the terror of God was upon the cities That was around about them You see God began to protect them immediately When they had started heading in the right direction God came to their rescue So Jacob came to Luz and Which was in the land of Canaan That is Bethel He and all the people that were with him And he built there an altar And called the place El Bethel Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. When Jacob first named the place Bethel, it means the house of God. But when he came back, his perspective had changed, Brother Matt. It was no longer Bethel, which was the house of God. But it meant that El Bethel literally meant the God of the house. Come on, this this has to become more than just a place where we come and meet. But we need to have a relationship with the God of the house. This is the house of God. But we need to let God bring us into a new relationship with the God of the house. Today, today, right now, this very hour, the Lord is tapping on somebody's heart today. He's knocking on your heart today and he's saying, come on, I want a fresh relationship with you. Come on, I want to bring you back into communion with me. I want to bring you back to that altar. Come on, these altars are open this morning. Somebody make your way down here and talk to the Lord.